0: amen hey everybody if you uh weren't here for the announcements and when i introduced myself my name is kent woodrow i'm the associate pastor here at holy cross and um just want to give you a reminder because i think we can all excuse me we can all use this during christmas right you got a lot going on let me remind you what this is all about it's about jesus in the midst of all the parties and the traveling and the, the chaos of the season and everything, Christmas is about the Christ. It's about Jesus. It's about celebrating him. And I hope that uh, you've been feeling that as, as we've marked this day with worship and as we're gonna hear his word as we're gonna come before his table. This is about our king who has moved toward us, moved toward his people. He came to rescue us. So, Just putting that out there. Um, If you're in this room, it's probably because you're like, yeah, Christmas is about Jesus. But it's so easy for it to be up here. And then in the busyness of the season and the crazy and the chaos, it can be hard for it to sink down into our hearts. That's my prayer for you. My prayer for you this Christmas is that whatever else you have going on, you will experience the nearness and the presence of the King of Kings. Hey, we're in the middle of our series uh, that I've called The Coming of the King and over the course of this series, uh, you can go ahead and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 2, because that will be our text for, for uh, this passage. It's also in your bulletins if you need. Uh, but we've been in this build up to Advent, and looking at the coming of the king. We've entered into the longing of God's people, feeling the, the need for a king. We've heard the Lord's promise of a king. We've pictured the shalom, that peace, the right ordering of things that will come as a result of the reign of the king. And all through all through this series, we've been asking questions, right? Questions like this: Well, why do we need a king? How how is the Lord going to restore shalom, that right ordering of things, through a king? What will that look like when the king does come to restore things? And I and I hope as we've worked through these questions together, you have felt um, the the beauty and the compelling wonder of what God offers us, right? And, that, and, and the amazement that he does that freely. He offers us his king and he offers us shalom freely. There's nothing you have to do to earn that. So today, um, we're going to ask the question, so if, that, if that's the king, that's the coming, that's the longing that we've had, and that's the shalom that he brings, we're going to look at the question, we're like, well, how do you respond to that, right? Um, and why would, why would that news trouble people? Why would anybody turn that down in the first place, right? And the reason we're going to look at that is because I hope, if that's you, if you're feeling some troubling, if you're feeling some unrest this season, we can, we can look at that, expose that, so that we can then look at the king, right? So that, that's the hope for uh, this sermon passage. And today, we're going to look at Matthew 2. The coming of the King of Kings. Now, would you stand, if you're able and willing, out of respect, as we read together the Word of God. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word to me that i too may come and worship him and after listening to the king they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was and when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him and then opening their treasures they offered him gifts gold and frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Friends, I say this every week I'm up here. It stays true. This is the true word of the living God. He gives it to you, especially today, because he loves you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would move. We are here to worship. We are here to see the King of Kings and some of us are troubled. So Lord, as as we wade through the waters of our troubledness, I pray that we would find you. That Jesus, you would, you would cause us to focus not on the things that we are clinging to and troubled about, but cause us to cling to our Savior who came to cling to us. I pray, Lord, that you would... Move our hearts with wonder and worship for our King of kings and our Lord of lords, our Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. All right, so that's the big picture, right? We're going to consider the two responses that we see in our passage, to the good news that the King of kings, this long-awaited one, the one we had been waiting for for hundreds of years. He was now finally on the scene, and that did cause... Ex, like, exceeding joy and worship, right, on the one hand. We'll talk about those people second. Um, the strange bit is that it caused people to be troubled, too, isn't it? And those are the people that we're going to look at first, in some sense, just to get them out of the way. But really, though, like, we're going to look at this. Examine, examine your hearts. Where, where might you be troubled today, okay? So let's look at the troubled. Uh, hey, first, before we go any, any further... Um, got to dispel the whole We Three Kings thing, okay? Because you might be tempted to think, uh, just given the Christmas cards and the uh, storybook Bibles and stuff that we read, these three wonderfully ethnically diverse men riding on three camels show up in Jerusalem uh, and come and find baby Jesus, and it's like the serene scene that we see around nativities, right? Uh, Let's just take that idea Dump it in the garbage can of historical inaccuracies that we tend to pile up around Christmas. Um, look, hey, let, let's let's assume, let's assume there were just three. It's probably a lot more than three guys who came. Let's uh, assume there were three wise men. I call them magi. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but if there were three, they would have been accompanied by a whole entourage of. Soldiers, servants, traveling animals, all that. It would have looked a little bit more like the Prince Ali scene from Aladdin without the genie running around singing and stuff. But it would be a little more like that than like three wandering guys showing up into town, right? Um, so you can see why all Jerusalem was stirred. Verse 3. It says, all Jerusalem. Jerusalem was troubled with King Herod, right? Uh, It'd be a little bit like if Vladimir Zelensky, who we all hear about a ton in the news, were to show up at the Weir's Cave Airport and be demanding, hey, I want to see the candidate that my professional palm reader predicts will win the 2024 election. Well, imagine the stir that that would create, right? Like, what? Um, But that's exactly... What this was like. That was the kind of stir, the buzz, the the troubling of the waters that Jerusalem experienced when these foreign dignitaries show up uh, saying, we've seen it in the sky. We know who the king of Israel will be. We've come to worship him, right? Well, troubled people. And of course, the most troubled person in that whole city was, guess who? King Herod. Now, why would he have been troubled? What's the word you see repeated three times in the first three verses? King. 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 Herod was troubled because all this talk about a, a new king of the Jews was a direct threat to his power. Because who was the king of the Jews? Herod was the king of the Jews, right? Um, and it's really, history is very clear. There, this is, sometimes history can be fuzzy, but there's one thing that history is not ambiguous about at all. It's how King Herod took threats to power. So let's give you some quick background on, on Herod the Great, okay? Uh, he was only half Jewish. He's, his father was an Edomite. And the Edomites and the Jews a long history of, uh, of animosity and tension, right? So there's already that that's going for him. He was also the vassal king that was set up over the, the country of the Jews by the real folks in power, who were the Romans. They were the overlords. And Herod was kind of functioning sort of like a governor. Um, so for all those reasons alone, the Jews didn't consider Herod one of, like they didn't consider him a legitimate king and they didn't respect him. And part of the reason they didn't respect him was, well, he wasn't very respectable. He was power hungry, cruel, and paranoid that people were out there trying to seize his power. Let me give you a, a, just a quick list of, these are just some of the people that he had assassinated because he feared their possible threats to his power. Right, so he he killed the entire families and many of the supporters of his predecessors to the throne. He then executed his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law. It didn't pay to be an in-law of Herod's. But his three eldest sons, and then his favorite wife. He executed them all. See, people. People around Herod disappeared or died so often that the, the emperor over whom, like to whom Herod reported once was reported to have said, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. So when foreign star readers show up saying that the heavens had indicated the birth of a new king of the Jews, well, you can imagine how Herod took that, right? Well, you don't have to imagine because just a few verses later, When these guys don't show up again, he slaughters every male in little Bethlehem from two years old and under, probably about 20 kids, because he was going to hold on to his power, his power. But Herod wasn't the only one who was troubled, right? Like, uh, look at verse three. It says, all Jerusalem was troubled. And among those who were troubled in all Jerusalem, that would have included the religious leaders, so when Herod can't figure out, well, who do I target? He calls, verse four says, all the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes of the people. Uh, guys, if anybody was looking forward to the coming of the king, anybody who should have been in hopeful expectation, it should have been these guys, right? You'd think uh, the ones who like were, were invested in the readings of the prophecies and all that and seeing what was coming. Um, they should have been ecstatic. And yet, here's the question. Why would they cooperate with King Herod? Fully knowing this bloody king and what he's capable of doing, right? Well, you can argue, uh, well, they were good pastors and scholars of God's people, and they didn't trust the word of these star readers about the coming of the king. And, and y'all, frankly, like, would, would you have trusted them? Like, as, as believers who, who believe God reveals himself through his word, uh, how would you take the word of somebody, an astrologer, who says, I can see who the ruler is. Right? Like, you wouldn't have believed them. They didn't believe him, right? But it's not just that they didn't believe him. Um, they didn't care to travel the six miles down the road to Bethlehem just to verify things. Bethlehem was just six miles south. Why was that? Because the, the, the news of the king of kings, if it threatened Herod's power, it threatened the comfort of these religious leaders. Not just because they didn't want to travel six miles down south. Um, it was worse than that. See, these, this social class of religious elites, the Matthew and the rest of the Gospels will later go on to call them Sadducees. These religious elites, they'd worked out an arrangement that they were, they were, they were comfortable with. Uh, they could enjoy the comforts of of position and rule and wealth if they just accommodate the, uh, the Roman overlords for a little bit, right? Uh, and they didn't want anything, like they were threatened by anything that challenged that comfort and the comfortable compromises that they had made with the devil as, as the common Jew would have seen the Roman overlords. The king of kings threatened their comfort because that could stir up a potential uprising, which would then cause the Sadducees to lose their power and all the comfort that they had worked so hard to get, right? In fact, it's because of that threat that 30 years later, these guys would push to have Jesus executed as a rebel. As a rebel. So this news of the King of Kings, it threatened Herod's power. It threatened the comfort of the religious elite. But what about the rest of the city, right? It says all Jerusalem, was troubled. What about what about the commoner on the street? Because we may be tempted to think, well, they didn't know what was going on, but remember Prince Ali's convoy, right? Everybody would have been talking about what had happened. They would have known the news. So why didn't they just take the six-mile trek down to verify? Well, I think honestly I think the the news of a King of Kings sort of threatened their security. That threatened the power of herod it threatened the comfort of the religious leaders it would have threatened the security of the average jew because everybody knew in israel and especially in jerusalem how volatile king herod was so they probably felt yikes like jerusalem is a powder keg ready to blow who knows who can stop king herod because the sadducees sure aren't going to do that if he threatens their comfort their security was on the line so you just keep your head down keep on with life And just hope that that uneasy piece that you've managed to build around you doesn't come crashing around you. Because in the end, this uneasy piece that you've managed to cobble together is better than at least the idea of a shalom brought by somebody who may or may not be the king of kings. So they kept their heads down. Hey, um, I just wonder, this Christmas season, right, how many of us resonate? That was them back then. Let's look in the mirror. Um, because I know every one of us in here are wrestling with one of those things. We don't like the threat to our power, to our comfort, to our security that's offered by a king of kings, Um, so let's talk about power. Where, where are you, where's your life about grasping for or else trying to just keep a grip on your power? And maybe, maybe you're like, I don't have an issue with power. Okay, let's, let's just shift it a little bit, um. Where is your life all about grasping for, just trying to keep a grip on your independence? Your independence, your right to play God over your own life, to, to sit on the throne of your heart. See, who and what, like Herod, are you willing to sacrifice if your independence gets threatened? Who falls into the line of fire? See, I think Herod, Herod was actually right to feel threatened by a king of kings because the king of kings does challenge our power and our independence. The king of kings demands all authority. When he comes into your life, he says, "I am king. There's only one room for one king in his in his kingdom. That's not going to be you and me, right?" And so, when the king the king and his ways and his purposes and his commands get in the way of our independence, what gives? Do we? Do we trust the King of Kings and submit to Him to be our promised Shalom bringer, the one who we look to to bring that peace, that rightness, that that wholeness? Or, like King Herod, do we declare war? Right, because it's it's people like Herod who are trying to keep this grip on their independence and on their own power, who who miss out on the King of Kings and miss out on uh, His Shalom. All right, so that's that's power. What about comfort? Hey, uh, this one's tough, I think, especially for us as a as a culture. So, where are we? Where have we made compromises that we're we're working hard to be comfortable with, right? This Christmas, where where are we struggling? Um, because the King of Kings sounds nice, but there are things that I want to hold on to. Um, Compromises could come in forms of relationship, in workplaces, in our entertainment, private habits. See, the king of kings, he challenges our comfort because he he pushes us out of our comfort zones. He calls us on mission, right? But he also challenges the, the comfortable compromises that we've tried to make. And so when the king of kings challenges our comfort, what gives? Is it us? Or do we submit to him and trust him to be our shalom bringer, the one who brings that right order of things. Uh, Do we, like the elites in Jesus' day, just try to conveniently ignore things? Or do we submit to him and trust him to be our shalom bringer? All right, so that's that's power, that's comfort. What about security? Um, Friends, when the king of kings comes into our lives, he sets us at odds with the counter-kingdom that we've talked about, right? Um, So if we are a citizen of his kingdom, now that means the counter-kingdom sees us as a traitor. Are you okay with that? Because very often you'll find that your existence in the counter-kingdom kind of just, it rubs, right? Um, And so when the king of kings threatens that secure, like when, when, when acknowledging him threatens security, what gives? Is it us? Do we submit to him and trust him to be our promised shalom bringer? Hey, uh, friend, listen. If that's you, if, if this Christmas you've been like just, you've been trying to hold on to independence and power. You've been trying to hold on to your own comfort and security. You've been, uh, you're just trying to cobble this together. I just want you to know like everybody's done that. Everybody in this room has done that. We're all shattered that way. Um, And I also want you to know, like, at at the very best, the the comfort, the power, the security that we cobble together and and work so hard to maintain, it's at the very best temporary, right, because it always blows up later. Um, And at the very worst, it can turn into our tiny version of hell. For us and for the people around us, as, as we compromise and do whatever it takes to try to maintain power, kind of like Herod did, right? Power, comfort, and security. Because um, here's, here's the good news: while we sh- so often struggle to be our own kings and are trying to, like, we look after power so that we can have so that we can have security, so that we can have comfort. Those things aren't things that are seized. Those are things that are given. Those are, those are glimpses of shalom that the king of kings himself offers because he is power, he is comfort, he is security, right? And you, this, this ad, for your life, you don't have to go out seeking those for yourself. The king of kings, he is that and he offers that to you. And when you realize this, when you realize that you don't have to go finding your own power, you don't have to find your security, you don't have to find your comfort, it causes you to worship, doesn't it? it stirs your heart to worship, which is our second point. We're going to move through this one quickly. Um, let's look at the worshipers in this passage. Do you spot the the major irony in this passage? Right. It, it's that... Who are the ones who were troubled by the king of kings, by the coming of the king of kings? Well, it's, it's Israel. It's God's people. It's the very people who uh, should have been looking for him and celebrating him and, and worshiping him when he came, right? Well, who are the ones who came all the way from the east to worship the Lord? He's Magi. Magi. Uh, hey, Magi is just the Greek word for... Um, Uh, what our Bibles will translate as wise men. Uh, And let's look a little bit at who these guys are as unlikely worshipers. Because if anybody was going to be worshiping at Jesus' feet, you wouldn't have thought these guys. And you'll probably see some parallels. If anybody's going to be worshiping at Jesus' feet, you wouldn't think it'd be us. want to know why? Well, first off, these magi, they were foreigners. So they probably came uh, from, it's most likely that they came from Persia, which is modern day Iraq. That's, uh, that's a journey of several, like just weeks and weeks away. Um, and if you remember your Bible history, Persia had once been, like 200 years ago, they had been the overlords over Israel. So these guys weren't just foreigners, they were also like foreign or former overlords, right? Uh, they were also uh, a group of, so they wouldn't, they were unlikely, Worshippers because they were uh, they're foreign, but also because they were pagans. These guys were like astrologers. The word magi is just a job description, and magi functioned as royal advisors, which is why we often translate the word uh, magi as wise men. Uh, they, they advised the king, but part of their advisory duties included things that we associate with magic. So, if you want to know where our English word magic comes from, just add a C to magi. Um, so, They did things like they did back in Daniel's day. They they interpreted dreams. They studied enchantments. They read omens. They studied the stars for guidance of the future, right? All these things that God's people frowned on back then, and rightly so, because God himself condemns them in Deuteronomy 18 um, and other passages like that. But here's, here's what's cool. In their study of prophecies and planets, the Lord met them there. It's crazy. He gave them a star to lead them to the king of kings. They weren't looking for him. God was looking for them. God was looking for them. Hey, don't, don't get hung up on the star and like, how did it move? and, and how Hey, uh, there are scholars out there, they've got some good, reasonable explanations for it. Don't have room to go into that for this, uh, for this sermon, but you can come talk to me if you want to hear some of the main uh, theories on that. But the point is, The point is, God used this uncommon means to lead these men who wouldn't have ever known about the Lord, to lead them to worship the king of kings when they would never have known about him. So, they were foreigners, they were pagans, um, they were also fairly important people. They were dignitaries. So, they may not have been kings themselves, so the whole we three kings thing is totally bogus, right? Uh, But they were at least important members of court as royal advisors. And if they were Persians, they served in the court of a Persian king whose title, get this, included being called the king of kings. Hey, do you, do you see how odd and yet fitting it was that these guys, uh, this picture of these fellas in all their pomp and glittering finery would be groveling in the dirt before baby Jesus. Here's what's odd about that, right? Um, they were kingly servants of another man who called himself the King of Kings. The last place you would expect to find these guys is in a home in Palestine on the dirt floor, kneeling before the son of a peasant girl. The last place. I mean, just picture it, right? Imagine you happened to be walking down the streets of Bethlehem at that time, looked through the window, and saw that happening. You'd been like, well, that's odd, right? So it's odd, and yet incredibly fitting, too. Because these foreign pagan dignitaries, as they bowed in the dirt before that poor, grubby little toddler of a peasant girl in southern Jerusalem, it's a picture of how one day every throne and dominion Every president, every power, every emperor, every king will one day bow before the true king of kings, our King Jesus. And if that is what's true of every king, what about us? What about us? Hey, uh, when the Magi set out on their weeks-long journey, because it would have taken up to two months probably, um... Which, by the way, meant laying aside their security and their comfort, right? When they, when they set out on their journey, they probably didn't expect to find themselves also laying aside their dignity and power by, by groveling in worship before a peasant girl's toddler in Bethlehem. At the very least, they probably pictured themselves in, in, a, in a palace, which is why they ended up in the palace in the first place, right? But they knelt believing that the signs that they saw in the heavens hadn't steered them wrong and and they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, believing that this one is the one that they'd been looking for, this little guy, right? And God's people missed out on their king because they were too busy trying to be their own kings. They were too busy trying to hold on to their power, hold on to their comfort, hold on to their security, right? Hoping that these things, that, that if they just tried hard enough, if they just planned well enough, these things would, what, would be what would give them the shalom that they longed for. So friend, let's bring it home, right? What about us? What about us? This Christmas season, um, do you find yourself holding on to dear life, to something, in the hopes that it offers you Power independence, comfort, security here 's what I want for you. I want to free you from that. I want to free you from that so that you can enjoy Christmas, enjoy advent, enjoy the king who came to give you those things freely where what are we clinging to hey uh, one of the one of the joys of Christmas being such a stressful season, um, is that in that stress, very often, the things that we are clinging to, to, for a semblance of normalcy, for a semblance of power, whatever these things are, uh, they, they get exposed, right? So where, where is the Lord kindly exposing you to your desperate attempts to cling to power, to comfort, to security? What, what are we looking for, for peace on earth and for Shalom. What is it that is this season kind of pulling us away from worship and into something else? Right? Hey, get me. Like, seriously, I, I understand because this is totally me. It is so hard to let go. It is so hard to let go of our, our attempts to, to just have power. Our attempts to, to make ourselves secure, to give ourselves comfort. At the very least, because then we can... Some of us are busy justifying, well, at least if I have those things, then I can provide them for everybody else, right? It's so hard to release that. And I get that maybe uh, surrendering those things to cling to a king who doesn't have a palace or a throne that we can see. Yeah, that may sound just as crazy as bowing before a grubby little toddler in a peasant home and saying... This little guy, he's going to rule one day. So you wouldn't be alone in feeling that. Pretty sure the Magi might have felt that at one point or other as they were kneeling in worship. And yet, since Jesus' advent 2,000 years ago, that grubby little guy has had more worshipers surrender their lives to him as king than has any other king in the history of humankind. In fact, even emperors and kings have knelt in worship before him as the king of kings. And even now, his worshipers are spreading to every corner of the globe. And one day, his worshipers, his people will number from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Why? Because that grubby little guy in Bethlehem That toddler, that peasant boy, he's the son of man that Janie read for us in Daniel. The son of man who... One day be given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And one day the heavens will open and the king of kings will return to uproot evil, to uphold justice, to establish his shalom, to reign in power that his people might know comfort and security. And until that day comes, friends... Until that day comes, we will continue to worship, won't we? We'll continue to worship and celebrate his first advent and looking with longing and hopeful expectation for his second advent, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings. Friend, do you worship him? Do you worship Jesus Christ? And is he your king? Let's pray. Our great, our great king, you are enthroned in heaven and none will dethrone you. You faced death and death itself could not conquer you your kingdom has been established and there will be no end to it. And Lord, as we, as we wait in this period of yearning and longing, knowing that you came and you started the rescue plan, you have set things in motion, we yearn for the day when all of that will be realized. Jesus, we love you. Thanks for coming for us. And I pray that in this Christmas season, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Jesus, would you expose to us those areas where we are looking for power, comfort, security anywhere and everywhere but in you. Father, would you help us to release that, to let go of that, that we might find our identity and our our delight in our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. We pray this all in Jesus' name, for his sake, for his glory, because he is worth it. Amen.